Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. This is setting me up for a fail. That's the trouble. <laughs> so, thank you um, for the introduction. So, we're looking at practical Christian living, and we're going to be looking at uh, the book of James. So you've got the handout there. Um, it's you, you don't have it because I think it's the single most valuable document in the world. Um, but there is quite a technical discussion on one of the verses, and that's why you have the handout to help to help us through this uh, linguistic discussion. So uh, sorry if my lecture notes are showing this morning. Apologies for that. But, uh, <laughs> So if you've got the word, uh, either written or soft copy, uh, we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, if I could find it. Uh, we're going to be reading from uh, 14 to 25. So James chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 25. The NIV helpfully gives us the title this morning, Faith and Deeds. Uh, the topic, he's James is criticizing faith without deeds. Can you say you're a Christian uh, if your life doesn't show it? So let's read together. James chapter 2, 14 up to 26. Uh, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, uh, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. In answer, James writes, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. But even the demons believe that and shudder. Uh, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Uh, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So hang on to your handouts. We'll get to them eventually. Uh, But I would like to sort of introduce the letter first, what's going on with this letter and the writer and the circumstances around it. Um, I, think, I think this letter or these words, this topic speaks right into our Namibian situation. The last census in Namibia, how many Namibians ticked the Christian box? Nine out of 10, 90% of Namibians call themselves Christians. They would say they have faith. They have Christian faith. But... Unfortunately, this nation is, we are world leaders in economic inequality, gender-based violence, alcohol consumption, 
teen suicide, and I'm not even going to talk about road deaths. You know, there's a mismatch. This, on statistics, Namibia looks like a wonderful Christian nation, because nine out of ten of us are Christian. But then you look at our deeds as a nation, hmm, it's, it doesn't, the two things don't match. So I think this letter is really for us as a nation, and for us as individuals as well, isn't it? We, we know people who call themselves Christians, and then you look at what they do and how they behave. Really? <laughs> we, we know people like that, don't we? And I'm not, I'm, as a missionary, I'm not just criticizing Namibia because I'm from not here. Uh, SIM, the mission we are with, did a survey of the missionaries who left their, their fields of work to return home early. In other words, they quit early. And they did a survey of why. What was the reason you, you left early? And nine out of ten again, nine out of ten of SIM missionaries who went home early said it was because of other missionaries. Yeah? Just couldn't get on. We've been here 25 years, so what, you know, I don't know what that says about us. <laughs> but, you know, even on a mission team, you can have conflict that means that some missionaries just say, we can't cope, we're going home. We, we would rather be working at home than trying to make it here, out in the field. So this, the, the, the call to righteous living, as well as a faithful testimony, faith and deeds, they do go together. And it's helpful to know this because when we look at the background of the book and the writer, we, we can see this influences how we understand the book. I've, I've, as a lecturer, I find one of the most fascinating things in biblical studies is to look at the background of the writing of the Bible books. Yes, we know that this is God's word and, and God inspired it to be written by the, by the power of the Spirit. But, but God also took into account the personalities and gifts of the writers and their worldviews and their strengths and weaknesses and, and also the, the people they were writing to. It all, it all works together. And when you look and investigate that background, it helps you understand the book and, and get, the, get the interpretation right. So, sorry, my lecture notes are showing again. Okay, so uh, this time the letter of James, uh, written by this bloke James. There's two possible candidates for who this James is. Uh, James the Apostle, one of the twelve, and those of you who know your Bible history will know that he's actually dead by this time. Herod killed James in Acts chapter 12. That's James the Apostle. And, and you remember the people were so pleased by that that Herod went out and arrested Peter, uh, and all that came out uh, in, in that situation. And, and when, so when Peter was in prison following the death of James, he, he's, his life was on the line as well. If the angel hadn't rescued him from prison, Peter would have been killed at the same time. So it can't be that James. The, the James we are left with is James, the brother or half-brother of Jesus. And again, in the book of Acts, he becomes the, the leader of the, the church in Jerusalem, the, the, the Jewish church, if you like, as opposed to the Gentile church that Paul was planting. So this is important to know. Why is this important to know? Uh, James is a Jewish Christian. And he's also writing to Jewish Christians. We saw this in, our, in what we read uh, just now. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 2, James, write, as a Jewish Christian, writes to these Jewish Christians and says, was not our ancestor Abraham? Da, 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 da. So our ancestor can only be said by a Jew to other Jews. Yes, they're converted Jews, but 
But that's their identity, that's their background, that's their genealogy, they're, they're Jewish people. And also, uh, James chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to turn back there. Uh, James says he is writing to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations. And the 12 tribes is obviously a reference to the Old Testament and God's people, the Jews, and, and, and James is, is writing to them. He's writing to Jewish Christians as the Jewish leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Okay? So that's important. This is important to know. <laughs> because James, as a Jewish Christian, is, is writing this letter with a Jewish worldview and, and Jewish values and uh, a Jewish ethic. And, and we need to know this to, to get the full meaning out of, out of the book. Uh, the New Testament's written in Greek. Most of the New Testament was written by Jews, but they were writing in the Greek language. And we'll, the, the problem we have this morning is because when Jews write in Greek, they're, writing, they're using Greek, but they're writing in a Jewish way. Does that make sense? They're, they're using Greek, but they're, they're, the way they write it is, is, in a, is in a Jewish way, and that trips us up. And, and that's why you have that handout. We're going to have to get to the bottom of this, this, this kind of... Uh, lost in translation thing. The main point in this letter, and, and, the, and the real key to unlocking it, uh, the, 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 Jewish, the Jewish ethic, the Jewish mindset, the Jewish worldview, is to do with wisdom. And I think most of us, in our different languages, we, we have different words. We, we know there's a thing called intelligence, and we know there's a thing called wisdom. And, and there's a difference. Uh, Brian, the, the, the Bullingtons and us, we spent time in Rundu. We're working with the Gangela people from Angola in Rundu. Uh, and they would acknowledge the difference. For them, to be clever, well, they would call that mana. But if you were wise, you had bangana. Two, two words to describe two different things. What's, what's the difference between intelligence and wisdom? My, my wife will tell you I'm the, the least qualified person to answer the question in the world. Um, <laughs> But I think there is a difference. Think of, your own, think of your own languages. There's a difference, isn't it? Cleverness and wisdom are not the same thing. You can, you can have PhDs coming out of your ears, but you can still make silly choices in life. There, there is a difference. And, and for the Jews, wisdom... <coughs> sorry. For the Jews, uh, wisdom was more than intellect. Wisdom was putting into practice the things that you knew, actually living it out. Um, if you were wise, you not only knew stuff, you knew how to put it into practice, you knew how to live it. It made a difference to how you lived. Uh, just an example, have a look at James chapter 3 and verses 13 to 17. So James here is giving us the Jewish a description or definition of wisdom. Uh, James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, 
full of mercy and good fruit. God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Uh, good fruit, uh, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That's a Jewish definition of wisdom, and almost none of those things are to do with what you know. Jewish wisdom is about how you live your life. Yeah? And, and this, this ethic, this worldview runs all the way through the letter. So when we come to our chapter this morning, this is, this is the key point that James is, is trying to get across. It's no use saying you're a Christian if you don't show it. And if, you don't, if it's not showing in your life, it casts real doubt on whether you really are a Christian or not. Faith, when he talks about faith without deeds, he's talking about the intellectual ascent. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Ticking that box on the census in Namibia. Yes, what religion? Christian. That's, that's faith. It's an intellectual faith, or it's, it's ticking the box. It, it, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change your life in any way. So as we look at faith and deeds working together, it, it comes to us with this, this full emphasis, this, this Jewish emphasis on, on, on wisdom, on, on life matching your, your beliefs. And, and, and that's what we're trying to get to this morning. So uh, we can now turn to the handout. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, if you've got it with you. I mentioned the linguistic problem uh, and Jews using Greek <laughs> in, in, in a Jewish way. Uh, the problem is, and you may have already spotted in your versions on your phones or the versions you brought, <laughs> brought this morning, the problem is James 2.24. Now, when I've heard good preachers in the past, <clears throat> when I've heard good sermons, when, I, when my response has been, that was a great sermon, what usually happened was that the preacher made something clear. I, I came to church and I was confused, and then, and then I listened to the sermon, and, and clarity came, you know, and, and everything was understood. Good, somebody appreciates that. So, so when, I, when I was preparing this study, I, I wanted to do the same for you. James 2.24 is a verse that causes, can cause great confusion, and I want to clarify that for you, and, and that's why... I, You've got the handout and everything. So sorry if my lecture notes are showing again, but it's really important to get this verse right and to get it clear. One famous chap who didn't get it clear was a chap called Martin Luther, who we all know. <laughs> and uh, when, when he was kidnapped for his, <clears throat> for his own safety, when the, when the Pope decided it was time to uh, end the life of Martin Luther, he'd, he'd caused enough trouble, uh, his friends came and kidnapped him and took him to a castle, and, and the Catholic Church didn't know where he went. So he's locked up in the castle for his own protection, and he's waking up on Monday morning, thinking, heck, I could be here for a while, what am I going to do? He says, I know, I will translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into German, low German, the, German, the ordinary German, so that the, my people can read the Bible for themselves. They won't need the priests or the Catholic Church to tell them what the Bible means, which is written in Latin, but if I put it into German, then we can all read it for ourselves. And so that's what he began to do. And then he, he knew the Bible, he was a Bible teacher, and he said to himself, right, book of James, I'm going to leave that till last. For him, the book of James was a letter of straw, a right strawy epistle. 
And he left it till the last because he knew it was the, the most dangerous book. It was the, it was the book that he knew people would misunderstand. And it was because of this verse, James 2, 24. At the bottom of your handout, uh, just where it says uh, above the cross references or at the bottom, um, I've got the original NIV, the NIV as it was originally published, uh, the translation there. Uh, it says, uh, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And when Martin Luther looked at that, he, he was terrified because the whole basis of the Reformation, the whole basis of Luther's fight against the Catholic Church was that a man is, is justified by faith alone, not by works. And the complete opposite of James 2.24. So he said, I, go, I don't want to put this into German because people will then say, ah, Luther, you're wrong, you see? And eventually he did translate the book of James into German, and it was part of his Bible, but he left it till last. It was the thing that he, he disturbed him the most. The trouble was, is that, is that translation of the word. I, I, I like the NIV, um, um, but at this point, the original NIV did not give a good translation. Uh, it was actually then, uh, the NIV was updated in 2011. If you've got a 2011 NIV on your phone or, or, or hard copy, you will see it has a new version, a better translation, uh, where it says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And that is a much better translation of the Greek. Okay? James is a Jew using a Greek word, but the, 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 the Greek word can mean both of these things. We'll see it in the chart later. But James is using it in the sense of considered righteous. Your, your wisdom, your, the life that you live, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You can't say, I'm a Christian, and then that makes you righteous. You know, then you, you automatically uh, become perfect. No, no. You say you're a Christian, and then you start living that life. Now, uh, is this completely wrong? Let's look at other verses in our chapter. Look at verse 21. Uh, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous? It's the same Greek word there, considered righteous. Have a look at Rahab in verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? It's the same Greek word, okay? So when we come to James 2.24, you see that a person is considered Righteous. It's the same Greek word, and the NIV in 2011 finally realized that's the best way to translate it, not justified. Okay? All clear? Clear as mud. Hopefully the handout will help. Okay, right back to the top of the handout. So the Greek word that, that James is using and that's causing us this problem is dikaios, and it means righteous. The trouble is dikaios can be translated in two very different ways. Okay, so the first way you can translate dikaios, righteous, is this uh, being declared righteous by God. God says to sinners, uh, you not, well, he says, not guilty. Okay, and as Rico was, was praying this morning, that's, that's the basis of our salvation. God declares us sinners to, to, to not be guilty, and we are saved, and, and we're on the way to heaven. That saves us. God's declaration saves us. But the second version, 
the second way of translating dikaios is also valid. It can mean living a righteous life. And there's another technical word there, sanctification or, or holiness, very technical words. I prefer Christ-likeness, becoming like Jesus. That's, that's sanctification. A, a lot of people throughout history have had some very strange ideas about uh, holiness. Uh, one chap called uh, Simon of Stylites decided that the way to be really holy was to sit on the top of a pole 10 meters up in his hometown for 20 years. Hmm. So fairly easy to get food and water up to him, but I don't know about the downward trip either. But, but to him, that was holiness. You know, crazy. That's not holiness. When, when did you see Jesus sitting on top of a pole for 10 meters above the ground in Galilee? He didn't. That's not holiness. Holiness is becoming like Jesus. So the little chart there is just helping us to highlight the difference between these two terms, justification and sanctification. As I said, it's the same Greek word behind both of these terms, dikaios, okay? Uh, but the context shows us which one is right or which one we, we need to use. So justification is a once-off legal declaration by God. God says to you and to me when we become Christians and we're born again, not guilty, okay? God no longer looks at us and sees our sins, he looks at us and he sees Christ. He sees the Holy Spirit. We, we are justified. Uh, we're going to heaven because there is now nothing between us and God uh, in this life or, or in the next. And, and that is once off. That happens once. If it's done, it's done. You, you've seen people at the, the, you know, the altar call when you go forward and, you know, oh, I'm saved for the 10th time, you know, that kind of thing. No, <laughs> it only happens once. God saves you once. You only need it once. But sanctification is an ongoing process, okay? So justification, God does that once for us and sets us right with him. But, but sanctification is a lifelong process for all of us, becoming more and more like Jesus. Just a second rank, uh, justification is God's work alone. And this is, this is what Luther was getting at at the Reformation. To, to be made right with God we can do nothing. Uh, only God can make us right with himself. Luther spent many years as a monk uh, trying to make himself right with God, doing all the right things, and he realized he couldn't do it. It, 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 it was a waste of time and energy, uh, and he was desperate to be made right with God, and he realized that it, it, he couldn't do it. it. God had to do it for him. Fortunately, God led him to the book of Romans where he, he began to understand the, the, the righteous shall live by faith. It's faith that saves us. Faith, trusting in what God has done for us, saves us. And we're saved by faith alone, not by faith and anything else. The Catholic Church says, said at the time, we are saved by faith and works. And Luther said, no, we are saved by faith alone. Our, our works don't count. There's nothing more that we can add. Uh, Calvin said something like, the only thing we contribute to our justification is the sins that Jesus took away. <laughs> I like that. Uh, verse in Isaiah, God says, all your righteousness is like dirty rags. Even the best things that we do, God looks at and goes, well, no thanks. So this is the work of God. <laughs> justification, being made right with God, only God can do that for you and for me. 
Sanctification, however, is different. Okay? This ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus, we actually have a part to play. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. And we work together with the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 19 verse 30 is just a Bible verse to talk about justification. Jesus said on the cross, it is nearly finished. No, he said, it is finished. It's done. Okay? Nothing more to add. If, if I think I need to do something for God so that I could get into heaven, I'm adding, I'm trying to add to what Christ did on the cross. Uh, and that's, that's outrageous. It's gone. That's, that was the Catholic Church doctrine, and Luther utterly rejected it. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words, it is finished. My death secures the the justification for these sinners. Uh, Romans 8 verse 13 is probably worth looking at if you've got your Bibles. Let's just cross to that. I love this uh, illustration of how we work together in sanctification. Uh, Romans 8 uh, verse 13. Paul says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Second half of the verse. But if by the Spirit you put to death. Do you get it? We need to put to death the sinful nature. But we do it, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's sanctification. That's us and the Holy Spirit working together to become more like Jesus. That's totally different to justification. Justification is God's work that he alone does. Sanctification is the work that we do with the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. So justification is the ground, the foundation of our salvation. It it is justification that saves us. Sanctification is a consequence of that salvation. Does Does that make a difference? We are not saved by our sanctification. Our sanctification doesn't save us. God saves us so we then grow in holiness and become more like Jesus. It's a consequence of salvation. Do you get the difference? Okay. Justification is the ground, the foundation of our salvation. Sanctification is a consequence of our salvation. And the basis of that justification, as we've already said, is the cross of Christ. God God, who is righteous and just, uh, cannot just tell sinners not guilty because that would offend his justice, that would break his justice. For for God to forgive sin, someone needs to die and and, and someone perfect. I I love you, I would love to die for you, but but if if I go to God and say, I'd like to die for New Song Family Church, God would say, well, it's a nice thought, but actually, you're not good enough. I need need somebody perfect to die for New Song. Oh, Jesus has already done it. You see, the the cross is is the basis of God's declaration, the legal declaration, not guilty, is based on Jesus' death on the cross. The perfect died for the sinners so that the sinners could become perfect. The basis of holiness, becoming more like Jesus, is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. And, and, of course, the trouble with that is the Holy Spirit does not force sanctification on us. He will, he will help us and lead us and guide us and show us the way. But if we don't want it, he won't force it upon us. And, and this is what James is getting at. You Christians, you need to be cooperating. It needs to be your decision. You need to be working at this. That's wisdom. 
So, as I said, dikaios means righteous, uh, and righteous can be used in these two ways. Paul, also a Jewish Christian, but a Jewish Christian to the Gentiles, when Paul used the Greek word dikaios, he was talking about justification, being made right with God. James, in this letter, a Jewish Christian writing to Jewish Christians, he's not evangelizing, he's not sharing the gospel with them, he's, he's telling them how to live as Christians. You're already Christians, but I want you to live as Christians. He's using dikaios in, in the holiness sense, okay? The Jewish emphasis. So this, this is this problem. James is a Jew using a Greek word, but, but using it in a Jewish wisdom kind of way. Do you get the idea? So I, I like this. It's a much better way to say James 2.24, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone rather than a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So James and Paul, they, ought, they seem on the surface to be disagreeing with each other, but it's just a different, they're just using a different way of translating this Greek word uh, dikaios. Um, let's have a look. Uh, we'll come back to those at the end. So let's just have a quick look at the text. So what James is trying to say, um, he begins with uh, an example of faith without deeds. What, 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 what's, what does it look like when somebody just says they're a Christian, uh, but nothing's happening in their lives? So um, come back to James chapter 2. The first example is this hungry and cold person. And, and James isn't talking about the ethics of helping people and you know, giving food. And He's not saying, it's not a debate on whether it's the right thing or not to do. He's not getting into that. He's just using it as an example. Okay. If you see someone who is hungry and cold and you, you speak nice words to them, does it help them? No. You've actually got to do something. You've got to give them some food or give them some clothes. Actions. Actions help the guy, not words. Does that make sense? And, and James said, well, that's like faith. Faith without deeds is just like saying to the poor guy, have a nice day. It doesn't, it doesn't change his situation. Words on their own. Don't, don't mean anything, have no, have no change, have no practical effect. If you really want to help the guy, you give him something, you act. You see? That's the first example of faith without deeds. If you have faith without deeds, you have no effect, nothing happens, it's worthless. Second example is the faith of demons, verses 18, 19. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. <laughs> hmm. That's, you know, the demons also believe. They have faith. They believe that God exists. Do you believe that God exists? That's good. You've just qualified as demon faith 101. Well done. <laughs> but we need more than that, don't we? That's the faith of de the demons believe in God. <sighs> but that's not enough. They're, the demons believe in God and they shudder. They are afraid because they know that God is greater than them and they will be defeated by God. They've got no interest in living the Christian life. <laughs> they, they believe, but their actions are the complete opposite. So those are two examples of faith without deeds. Then he moves on to two more examples of faith and deeds working together. And our famous example, Genesis 22, Abraham uh, sacrificing Isaac. Um, Isaac didn't deserve to die. You know, Isaac didn't deserve to die. He'd done nothing wrong. And I don't think Abraham wanted to kill his son either. I mean, 
you know, in Abraham's eyes, Isaac hadn't done anything to deserve death. He hadn't even crashed the family car on his birthday, you know. I mean, come and see me if you want a lightly rolled Toyota Kondo. Uh, but, but Abraham's actions actually proved that his faith was genuine, yeah? Abraham proved his faith by what he did. So his faith and his actions worked together. And the second example, Rahab the prostitute. Uh, God's people surrounding Jericho. uh, Well, before we get to that, the spies entering Jericho to spy out the land. Uh, And Rahab realizes that these, these spies have God with them. And actually that means that her city is going to be defeated. And she's, she wants to save herself and her family, so she allies herself with the spies, not with her people. Yeah? She changes sides, and, and she sends the spies out by the secret way so they can report back to God's people and the, the attack can go ahead. And verse 25, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. It's interesting in James... James is commending Rahab for her what? Her faith or her deeds? Yeah, well, I think her deeds. Her, you know, he's trying, to show, he's trying to show us that deeds count, okay? Faith and deeds work together. <clears throat> um, she was considered righteous for what she did. So James is picking up her actions. But she's also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Come back just a few pages. Very interesting. When she's mentioned, the Hebrew 11 is this great chapter of deeds. No, great chapter of faith. Okay. So uh, Hebrews, I've got to find it. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 31. There is Rahab again. By what? Faith. The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. There, it's her faith. (laughs) You see? James talks about her deeds. The writer to the Hebrews talks about her faith. It's her faith and her deeds going together, working together in concert. Back to James chapter 1 this time. We've missed chapter 1, but I couldn't resist picking a verse out from James chapter 1. Here is an answer. Here is a picture. Here is the danger. James chapter 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and, and so deceive yourselves. What do you do? Do what it says. If, if we are hearing the word and not putting it into, into practice, we are deceiving ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. We think we're Christians because we've ticked the box on the census, but we're not. We're deceiving ourselves. And, and the key to undeceiving ourselves is putting what we hear into practice. Do you know the parable of the wise and foolish builders? Matthew chapter 7. We won't read the whole thing. Don't worry. You've probably heard many wonderful sermons on on the wise and foolish builders. Jesus is the rock uh, and you must build wisely on the rock. And when the storms of life come uh, and and hit hit your life, you will stand firmly on Jesus uh, and, and you will be fine. But if you don't build your life on the rock except on the sand, when the storms of life come, they will wash you away and you will just fall and, you know, that will be the end. All those, it's a completely wrong sermon. If you, if you hear that by a preacher, you say, Mr. Preacher, sorry, that's the wrong sermon. Why? Because 
Both of these guys are in church on Sunday. Okay? Have a look if you like. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay? Da-da-da. Uh, verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rock is not Jesus. <laughs> the rock is hearing and putting those things into practice. That's the rock that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about build your life on me. He's talking about living the Christian life. Hear and obey. Okay? Both of these guys are in church on Sunday. They are both hearers of the word of the Lord. One puts, go, leaves the building and puts them into practice. He's building on the rock. One leaves along. Maybe they're even sharing coffee together. And he goes home and he doesn't bother putting it into practice. He's building his life on sand. That's the difference. Okay? They are both hearers of the word, but only one is putting them into practice. And then that's building your life on the rock. Am I wrong? Have a look at the very previous words that Ziggy reminded us a few weeks ago. Uh, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Because they did not do, they were doing many good things, but they were disobeying. They were not actually doing what God wanted them to do. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so Jesus told the parable of the wise and foolish builders to show the difference, to show why these people were rejected. <laughs> Do you get the point? The wise and foolish builders is a parable explaining why those who said, Lord, Lord, would not enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7, you can look it up later, but basically the people come to Jesus and they say, what works must we do to please God? Plural. And Jesus' replies to them is, there is only one work that God requires to believe in the one he sent. Yeah? The Jewish people around Jesus thought, well, we, must, we have the law, we have the Pentateuch, we have, all, we have the Ten Commandments, we have all these different things. What, must we do? what of all these things must we do to enter into the kingdom? And Jesus said, uh-uh, there's only one thing. Believe. Have faith. The work of faith. Does that make sense? <laughs> we need to work hard at believing. We need to work hard at making sure we are not trusting our own works to get us into heaven. We need to work hard to make sure we are only standing on the work of Christ to get into heaven. We are saved because of his work, not because of our work. In conclusion, <laughs> turn with me to, <coughs> to Luke chapter 8. We've mentioned that James is the half-brother of Jesus. And, and we've mentioned James's Jewish emphasis on, on, uh, on works and obedience and living the life, not just believing what you should believe. And I wonder if this incident in, in Luke 8 actually reinforced James's thinking and influenced him later on. So it's, it's Luke chapter 8, verses 19 to 21. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 19 to 21. 
Now Jesus' mother and brother came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And one of the other versions says, Jesus looked around at the people who were in front of him. He looked at them and he said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Yeah? <laughs> Jesus wasn't rejecting his family. <laughs> but he said, who, who, who really are my family? My real family are the people who hear, who hear and do what God wants them to do. And I wonder if James heard that. He, he heard his brother tell the people that they were his true brothers. James's biological brother was outside. <laughs> and at the time he wasn't a believer. Certainly wasn't a doer. <laughs> and he heard Jesus telling these people that they were his real family because they, they heard and they obeyed. And I think that comes into the book of James. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to get hold of this uh, Jewish wisdom. Help us to get hold of the idea of the, the importance of hearing and obeying, uh, putting into practice the things that we hear, the things that we read. Uh, Lord, as we have a great Bible reading program, help us to have a, a Bible practicing program as well, Lord. Help us to put into practice uh, the things that we're reading. Lord, we don't want to deceive ourselves. We don't want to just hear the word uh, and go away and do nothing with it. Uh, Lord, we, we want to be people who, who tick the Christian box, but we also want to be people, Lord, who, who, who show and demonstrate that we are Christians. Help us to keep our deeds and our faith in step with each other. Help us, Lord, to, to share what we, what we believe, not just by our words, but also by our deeds. When, when people hear our words and when people see our lives, they will realize <clears throat> that Christ is alive. We pray these things in Jesus' name. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.